You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is a digital mapping app that you download directly to your phone, mobile device, and you can even use it on your desktop. But what is great about it, the functionality here, is that you can drop waypoints and you can mark tree stand locations. You can mark trail camera locations, scrapes, rubs, bedding areas. You can document all that. So it's like a living journal of your properties that you hunt. Now, what's great about this, it can be used on a small scale, let's say like a 40 acre farm, or like we did on our mule deer hunt out west, this 33,000 acre uh, big chunk of public ground. It can allow you to document everything that you've seen on there as well, glassing points where the mule deer were coming in and out and so much more. If you want to find out more about the functionality of Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com. And for first-time users, you can use the discount code NATION20 for 20% off. XP podcast with your host Steve Fielder and me Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. good ideas and a lot of a lot of history to share and all it was, it was a great time yeah people can find his his uh, videos on youtube just look in that search engine there for born 100 years too late brett tells the story of the hunt i think he catches a lot of things that uh, are missing in today's production of, of uh, hunting adventures and that is the story that goes into uh, where he's at and what he's doing and the care of the hounds. And we get into that a little bit in the podcast and talk about the value of those videos. And it was just, it was refreshing to talk to, to him. It sure was, Chris. 
Uh, you know, I'm reminded that we better pay the bills for this month. Uh, uh, do we have anything to say about our sponsor? Absolutely. Uh, w Hunting Supply is the one-stop shop for all your hunting needs, your hound needs. Uh, they're also launching our staple Houndsman XP t-shirt, long sleeve t-shirt. And I call it the staple because it's going to be there. You know, things we've ran in the past have been limited edition. Uh, just the logistics and different things. And honestly, not knowing how Logo Wear was going to sell. Uh, we didn't want to get in too deep and ordering too much stock. But we found that our supporters, you, the listener, has been very supportive of the podcast. And we felt like it was time to, to move into a, a Logo line of uh, clothing there that was going to be on the website from now on sounds great man it's where it wears great it looks great and of course that great service you always get from w just kind of seals the deal there so uh, i like it yep yep so make sure you look for that and um then of course what else we got steve what else will we need to mention to pay our bills <laughs> well of course we have our friend uh Evan Harrell with Remax Realty, and we're so glad to have Evan aboard uh, and uh, to have a major company like that sponsoring our podcast is is just very, very uh, uh, good and something that we appreciate very much. Uh, I don't know, Chris, I, I'm just anxious to uh, share this uh, uh, conversation with Brett Vaughn today, and we talk about a lot of things. You know, we talk about uh, his hounds, about his mules, about his video uh, uh, escapades, if you will, and also about the history the, of uh, people like Dale Lee and some of the other famous lion hunters. So it, it's a great episode. Yep. One of the other things you can do real quick before we kick this episode off is when you go to the iTunes store or wherever you're listening to podcasts, make sure you leave us a review. Give us a written review, even if it's just one line that says, hey, really enjoy the content. Keep it up. We Any review you leave there is going to be beneficial for us. And believe it or not, that helps us pay the bills. And then give us a few stars on, on the rating there. Make sure you, you uh, hit the stars because that keeps our podcast at the top of the of the uh, search. When you type in Houndsman, Houndsman XP will come up there. So a couple things. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, and hit that subscribe button. There you go. And enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, everybody. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great, Chris. Getting all geared up for a trip, uh, a hunting trip. Got the bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Uh, taxi's waiting outside the door. But you're not leaving uh, on a jet plane, right? Correct. Okay. We're going to go the old F-150. Yeah. Uh, if she'll make one more trip, we're going to head up to Alabama by way of Mid and Mississippi and ultimately in the delta of arkansas for a few nights of coon chasing so yeah are you gonna everything's put, good are you gonna put Cruz in a night hunt while you're out there yeah i am in fact this was going to be his first trip to town yeah. yeah yeah he's 16 well just turned 17 months old and uh he's been up in pennsylvania all summer summer camp 
and uh, with uh, Randy Smith. And I went up uh, a week or so ago and picked him up, and we're ready to go. I think he's more ready than I am. But uh, yeah, we're gonna. There's a UKC doubleheader there in uh, Northern Mississippi uh, on the Friday night of this week that I'm speaking with you. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. By the time yeah. this podcast comes out, you'll be able to. Uh... We'll be recording stories from White River. Well, yeah, that's kind of the plan. And uh, we'll get some of those, as you say, organic stories right from hunting camp. That'd so be great. I should can't, be I, fun. I can't wait to hear those. I can't wait to hear those. <laughs> Might even have a, 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 a surprise guest or two. I'm not sure yet. I may load up and head that way for a night or two. Well, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, you'll probably have to use your producer's uh, license on anything that I record out there. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Hey, well, you know what we got going on today? We've got a uh, we've got a YouTube sensation. Uh, Brett Vaughn is in the house today to talk to us a little bit. But Brett produces a uh, YouTube channel called a. 100 years too late and documents his hunting adventures in new mexico right down on the southern southern part of new mexico there and um it's it's an interesting interesting thing because i was drawn to to brett because our motto here at houndsman xp is to preserve protect and promote the sport of hound hunting and uh, brett is capturing He's definitely capitalizing on the preserving part. He's kind of a Renaissance man, uh, rides a mule while he's while he's hunting. Uh, I'm not sure how the whole GoPro camera fits into the whole thing and the traditional part of lion hunting. But, uh, Brett, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. We are glad to have you. Absolutely. You. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, tell us where you live. I'm in southern New Mexico, uh, down in the Rio Grande Valley, a place called Radium Springs right now. I've, I've only been here for a couple of years. Uh, prior to that, I, I had a place up in the Gila or up in the mountains, what we call the Black Range, up by Hillsboro. And uh, I had that place for about 10 years and, and uh, lived up there for about two and a half years, uh, totally off-grid and, and no cell phone service, no electricity, just everything solar and and uh, kind of spoiled me, but the fires came, and when the fires came, we had to move out, and everything just kind of changed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, what kind of a culture shock was it moving back into the civilized world for you? You know, uh, it. It. I'm still not real civilized. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it. It, it was good for my wife and I had ended up, you know, there after I moved out, I spent almost all my time on the highway. You know, if I was down here, you know, seeing her or staying down here, then I was worried about what was going on up at my camp. And then if I was up at camp, I was kind of worried about what was going on down here. So I, you know, and it was about a hundred miles of driving. So I just spent all my time in the highway. So it's kind of relief to when we sold the place. And, and I really just now in the last, year getting settled down here 
Yeah. Well, Brett, when you talk about the Black Range there, I'm reminded of the, the book by Dub Evans, The Slash Ranch Hounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you familiar with that book, I'm sure? Yes, sir. Uh, uh-huh. Sir. Great book. Is that, did, I, did I pinpoint the right area there? Yes, we were right on the what would probably be the southern end of the range of where they hunted. Matter of fact, I think that the last grizzly bear that they that they killed in there was wasn't too far from where my camp was. Mm, that's awesome. They had a place that I believe it was called Beaverhead. Is that right, or am I thinking mm-hmm. about? Uh, is that right? Yeah. No. I, yeah. I re- it was. It was Beaverhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they moved out of Texas there. I think they migrated into New Mexico. It's a great book for our listeners who haven't read yeah. it. Uh, I would highly recommend of, it. Uh, you know, from what everybody says, a lot of these hounds that we use nowadays in this area, you know, originated from the old Slash Ranch hounds, you know, Brownie and those dogs they, they talk about in that book. And and uh, there's a couple, fam- you know, ranch families from the same area that, that – uh, has kind of kept that bloodline going, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of outside blood that's been into it, but, but yeah, they, they, they still have it going. Chris, I found it interesting in the book and I don't know, have you read it? I have not read Slice Ranch Hounds. Okay. <laughs> he always, he was kind of like Dave Dean that we know in the blue mm-hmm. tick breed. He named all of his dogs hammer. Well, he, uh, Dub Evans had always had a brownie, didn't he, Brett? It seemed like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had several brownies. <laughs> right. Did exactly. he name them one, two, three through 28? Uh-huh. Or... I think he just <laughs> called them brownie. <laughs> one after yeah, the other. I think, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brett, one of the things we want to talk to you about today, first off is, uh, you know, we got your location. Tell us what you're hunting out there in in your area you know i here lately i've just been hunting this desert for the last couple years and you know and and the way i do it is i I, henry mcintyre i met henry back in the early 80s and henry was just an old cowboy that was a heck of a lion hunter and henry's the one who said i live to hunt and i hunt to live and I asked Henry one time, I said, how do you, how do you hunt lions? What do you do? And he said, he told me, he said, I put good dogs in good lion country and I make circles. And, and, you know, he rode a mule, rode a horse, whatever he had, I think, but that's kind of what I do now. I, you know, it just kind of fascinated me. So I go out here in this desert and, and I, you know, we have some lions that come through here. It's, it's, it's tough country. I mean, it's really hard country to trail in. And, uh, but that's what I do is I go out there and I put dogs on the ground and I ride big circles. And what's your and, lion population uh, like? You know, we have, I was just talking to a buddy of mine last night about that. And, and he was telling me, I, I've always said that we don't have a big enough deer population to hold many lions in this country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm talking about just the area where I hunt. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine and he was deer hunting. He's telling me about how many deer he had seen. And I, I, you know, it, it, it can't be very good because there's just not enough game. Now we have, you know, there's a female or two that lives around them that, you know, the toms in this country have a huge range. And, uh, 
we've got a little female that, that lives across the river down here that I trail around, you know, from time to time. I can't catch her, but I have a good time, you know, trailing around, seeing where she goes. What would you say the range on a tom lion is in your country there, Brett? Oh, oh, I, you know, I'd have to say over 100, 100 square miles, something like that, at least. Yeah. I think they've said, they've told me that it's bigger than that in places, you know. How long but would it, it, it uh, how many days would, do they routinely work that, that large area like that where they pass back through in somewhat of a predictable way? Or is it just pretty, I would think it would probably rely on whether they find anything to eat, right? Yes, I haven't been able to to put any kind of pattern on, on how often they return. And the only thing I know is that, you know, we had a Tom come in here and I kept, I, when I was talking to a buddy of mine, I kept saying, you know, we need to stay out because there's going to be a Tom come in and visit this female, you know, and, and we got a pretty good chance of catching him. And finally there was one come in and, and, uh, oh, they called me. It was on some private property and they called me and I went in and did get him caught. But, and then, Right after that, there was another Tom that passed through, but he didn't stay very long. He just, you know, he just walked on through the country. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to an old time trapper that had trapped lions, you know, for, you know, 50 years. And and he told me, he said, the lions will come in here and they'll stay and they might be here for a month or two. And then they might leave and they won't be back for a year or maybe two. And that was his opinion of it. And, and he had about as much knowledge as anybody about it. Mm. Well, now, did you pick this area to hunt, or did I hear you say you basically moved there because of of uh, family uh, obligations or whatever? Yeah, we moved. My uh, my folks are are alive and and they're up in age, so it's I'm you know I'm about three or four miles from where my mom and dad live, mm. and so we you know so I'm close to them, and then you know, like some of those successful ranchers, I have a wife that has a good job in town. So okay. it's close to her work. It's close to her work. And, uh, it was kind of a, you know, I can't, I can't live in town. So we're still, you know, 15 miles out of town, but, uh, it's close enough where, where, you know, we get to sleep in the same house at night and, and it's close enough where it's not far for her to go, to go to work. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, what I'm hearing is this was not the ideal place of all the places you could have moved to hunt just because of the hunting. Am I am I hearing that correctly? Yes, sir. Exactly. <laughs> it's not. Matter of fact, I I hunted it now for two years, and I don't think I've ever bumped into another houndsman out there. <laughs> so, it's yeah. I kind of have it all to myself, and there's a reason for it. I think <laughs> that sounds like such a familiar story. Because I can tell you that if I had my choices of where I would live, it would not be here for a houseman. So we yeah. have to do what we have to do at times and, and make the best of it. And, Steve, I'd say your story is probably familiar. Oh, I, I can top you. I'm living, Brett, in a retirement community on the west coast of Florida. It's a holding pen for <laughs> Yankees. Uh, no, no offense to our brethren that, that – follow hounds from up in the northeast but yeah it's a anytime i go on a hunting trip it's a it's an all-day drive but to, oh i do have some hunting here 
and it's starting to gear up a little bit right now. But back to what you were talking about, about the territory that you hunt there, it reminds me of an old bear hunter back in West Virginia. It was kind of like the general of our group. His name was Jimmy Thomas. And he would talk about a given area, the mountains there where we would hunt that was particularly rough. And he'd say, boys, that's the part of the world that the good Lord threw away. So it kind of sounds <laughs> like you might have a piece of that down there. Well, and, and and I should say that, you know, I'm probably not driving any further than, you know, 15 minutes away from the house here to hunt. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I went if I drove an hour, an hour and a half from here, you know, there would be some really good lion hunting. I mean, and matter of fact, just north and west of here is as good as any place around. And the biggest, the biggest thing that, that holds a lot of people back is mo- a lot of it is roadless area. We don't have a lot of developed, you know, there's no uh, logging roads or anything like that. So for, for a lot of guys that, you know, that, that hunt out of, you know, UTVs or whatever, it's not, it's not really that conducive, you know, for good hunting for them. But for me, being on a mule, it, it, it's good for me. Yeah, so that kind of talks about some of those challenges you have there that you've you've figured out, but you're capitalizing on them. And that's, I'm, I've enjoyed having mules uh, in the past, and and really enjoy hunting off of mules. And that's what's intriguing for, for me. The way you hunt, Brett, uh, is off of those mules, and and. Uh, so the talk to us a little bit about the type of hounds you're hunting, where you got your hounds, you know, what you're looking for in a hound, things like that. We'll kind of, we'll kind of diverse through, uh, traverse through that territory a little bit. You know, I, I was real fortunate. I had a, I have a friend of mine that matter of fact, I made a video about him, David Heiss. He's a, he's a houndsman. He's a sight hound man, but he knows everybody in the country and he, and he knew I was looking for some, uh, lion hounds. And, uh, he put me in touch with a guy down by, uh, uh, his name was Ralph Donahue down in, in, uh, Southwest Texas. And he said, this guy has the kind of, kind of hounds that you need for that country. And, uh, he was getting out of, he was on a ranch. I think that the Mexicans owned out of Mexico that, that managed their, their, the ranch for their deer. And they had okay. some lion problems, so he had these hounds, and and uh, I went down there and 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 bought all his dogs from him. And uh, man, you know, I was just as green as a gourd. I brought those dogs up here and turned them loose and said, "Here, go catch a lion." I, it didn't take them but two days to realize that they knew a lot more than I did, and they knew that they could get away with running coyotes and everything else. So it was a kind of a learning experience. But I had those hounds, and then. Uh, a friend of mine from up there by Capitan was selling some of his dogs and I bought a, a female from him that was, that was a broke dog and it was a real good dog. And I made a cross and that was kind of a, a, a magic cross that a lot of these, these guys that are real good lion hunters now uh, got, we, we all split up the pups. They got some and, and uh, I kept some and, and they're, they just made really good lion hounds or, you know, they're real, cat-minded dogs and really good noses really you know want a trail and and kind of do things right and we'll work out a track in this this tough country dry ground hounds i guess is what you call them yeah so how long how long ago was that that you went over to south southwest texas here and picked up dogs 
that had to be around 2008 or 2009, something like that. Okay. All right. Do you remember the town you and went to? It was uh, Fort Davis, uh, just uh, uh, outside of Van Horn, Texas. Okay. Yeah, we just got back from uh, Out- South Texas down there in some of that country. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. When you you went down there and hunted with Shorty, that was, that was a good podcast. Yeah. Those guys have bobcats now. They they, I mean that that's great country for bobcats. Yeah, Steve, you got something? Well, I'm just listening to uh, Brett here talk about the hounds, and I, I was fortunate to hunt in that area in the Capitan Mountain area there, and uh, uh, rough rough country. Took a plot female with me from Michigan that was. She was in pretty good shape for Michigan, but she wasn't in shape for New Mexico. She, uh, I think by the end of the first day, she was trying to pick all four feet up at the same time and looked pretty much yeah. like a pin cushion from all the prickly pear and so forth. But she was game, and w- we did have a good time. Uh, there's an interesting little story, Brett, and uh, I hope this wasn't uh, you that we were uh, – um, uh, dealing with here, but in the hunt that I took with Gary Washburn and George Hobbs, we were hunting in an area there somewhere around the Capitan Mountain. Uh, in the, I, I'm not sure we were in the Lincoln National Forest, but we probably were. We may have been on private land. And we we're hunting up a, a canyon that was called Hale Canyon. Do you know anything about that? Mm, no, sir. Well, on this hunt, we uh, we were running bear for sure. We were striking bear, and uh, the bear would, the dogs would tree, and then the bear would come out and apparently whip the dogs and get up in those huge boulders. I mean, mm-hmm. rocks the size of houses. I'll never forget mm-hmm. how. <laughs> and and uh, but anyway, after a long walk one day, we were coming out of there. We just happened to see something had gotten into a cache that someone had made there and left. It seemed like many, many years ago. And so we got in there tinkering around and all. And we found a tent in there. And the guy said, had painted on his tent, the man who sleeps with cougars. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we had there, whether we had a refugee. Uh, uh, it was Hatchet Jack. You remember Hatchet Jack out of Jeremiah Johnson? I must yeah. may have yeah. been. Yeah, he, he, but every time I think about that country, I think about that. And uh, yeah. But this guy had planned to come back, but uh, apparently he didn't come back for many years. So. Yeah, that's that's something. Sleeps with cougars, maybe. You know, there's two different kinds of cougars, too, though. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's funny. I like it. So tell us. I'll go ahead, Chris. I'll save mine for later. All right. Okay. Well, I was just going to drill down a little bit into these hounds and and talk about some of the things that you need in order to be successful in that area that you're hunting, Brett. Uh, You're hunting there a lot. And you're catching game there. So tell us what you look for in a hound and, and, uh, you know, what you breed for. You know, I, I don't, you got to have the nose, you got to have the nose and the desire to trail. I think, you know, I, 
I think a lot of hounds, you know, they all have the good noses. I think it's the desire to 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 work those hard tracks and and just just stay hooked on a hard track and grind it out. And you know, I'm still trying to figure out what it takes to be successful down here. I I know the lion hunters that are good dry ground lion hunters you know, they hunt consecutive days. I mean, they, the guys who hunt, you know, the old timers like Terrell Shelley or, you know, Henry McIntyre and all those guys, they, you know, they hunted, you know, six, seven days a week, you know, and they just stayed out there and stayed after it. And I think that's what it takes to be able to get on the short end of that track where you can go ahead and, 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 and get the lion caught. And, uh, you know, a lot of us and, and, me, I, you know, I don't do this for a living. I do it as a, as a, I don't know, a, a real expensive hobby, I guess is what you call it. And, but the outfitters that do it, you know, they, they, they work at it. The guys who are successful, they're out there all the time. And if they're not out there, you know, they've got somebody dragging roads or doing something so mm-hmm. they can, so they can get on the short end of that track. And I think that's, that's what it takes to be successful. You know, the ranchers that, that were real good, you know, they, they were out checking cows all the time and riding fence and, and, and doing stuff like that. And and so they were always out and they always had their dogs out. And I think that, you know, that made a big difference that time spent, you know, just out there making those circles. So do you go up in the mountains or, you know, out in the desert there? And, and when you get on a track, do you camp on the track at, at the end of the day? Are you doing things like that? I have, I, you know, I, I, I've been up there last year at the end of the year, I, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to stay out here and stay after this, this female. Cause I had her on, I got some, you know, some game cameras. I, I, you know, we can't use the ones that send the picture to your phone, but, but, and a lot of outfitters, I guess, do use those or have used them in the past, but, and I had some pictures of her and I, I stayed out there and I trailed her for two or three days, you know, pretty hard and, and just camped out and I never could. I, and I, I've heard other guys say this before, and, and I've never seen any proof of it, but I have suspicion that those lions, they learn, you know, they hear those hounds come in, they get educated, and they learn. And, uh, you know, they're trotting out in front of those dogs, you know, seven, they hear them coming, they trot out in front of them, you know, seven, eight miles an hour. And those hounds are trailing it, you know, two or three miles an hour. Well, you know, you're just not going to make it happen. You can't put push pressure on them. They're not going to they're not going to, you know, tree or bay up. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, you're talking about that drive. I'm just curious how far ahead would you predict most of your tracks are ahead of you when you strike them? How old the tracks are you hitting? You know, you know, I've trailed, I, I have, uh, I've trailed 36 hour old tracks all day long before. And, and the only reason I knew is because I trailed through a camera mm-hmm. and I knew when the lion passed through there. But, uh, I, you know, I, I guess sometimes how old the tracks are, but I know that I've had fresh tracks that, that for one reason or another, you know, we couldn't trail very good. And then I know that we trailed older tracks that, I, that probably would have surprised more people, mm. most people, you know. And that, you know, we have these greasewood flats that, uh, this greasewood, and, and it's tough to trail through that greasewood. So, you know, you might be trailing down through the bottom of one of these old protected canyons, has some bedrock and some, some uh, foliage or whatever down in the bottom of it. And, you know, and I think those hounds can trail a real old track in the bottom of those things. And then they top out and get on one of these flats. 
and it's a completely different ball game. You know, you you might not be able to trail a four or five hour old track. Wow. Or if you do, you know, you're not trailing it fast enough to catch anything. Mm-hmm. So there's a you know there's a big difference between conditions between down in the bottoms and on the tops and and the one thing I've heard about all the real successful lion hunters and, and, and the old guys that were really good is that they thought like a lion when they had one of those real bad loses, you know, they could look at the countryside and, and, and kind of determine, you know, just where that lion was going to head to. And I'm still working on that, I guess sometimes, but I think I'm wrong more than I'm right. Yeah. Steve, you got something? Yeah. I, I was just thinking, what is it about the grease wood that makes it so difficult to, trail through brett you know i'm I'm not sure i know uh they spray the countryside here to get rid of the greasewood because nothing will mm-hmm. grow around it either and and uh it's just uh and, and and when it rains i mean it you know it has a real good fragrance to it or i like the way it smells I, anytime it rains in the desert it smells good mm. but you know it's just something about it i don't know what it is it, it's just real I, now i've heard that up north in the sagebrush that it they have the same difficulties you know in the in the sage that that it's hard to trail through that but uh, we poke around you know i i've got some dogs that'll 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 grind on it but you know it it, it a lot of guys w- sure wouldn't enjoy that because it is slow going you can sit down and take a nap and eat your lunch and everything and the dogs just don't go very far mm, mm. Well, that's similar, I guess. Any area you go to, uh, you know, when we were hunting with Shorty Gorham in South Texas, he talked about the difference in the white brush and the black brush and the thickets, and and we saw all of that and uh, and saw the the prickly pear and the chula cactus and all of those things. And uh, I think even out east here we have these mountain laurel thickets and ivy thickets on the points and and what they call dog hobble all kinds of things that impede the the hound and the hunter so i guess no matter where you go but i don't think there's anywhere that could possibly Mm. be tougher to trail than where you are in those extremely dry conditions seems to me yeah it's and like you said, every area has the obstacles. You know, when I was up in the mountains up there by at my camp, you know, the trailing conditions were were a lot better, and you, and you could trail pretty good. But then we had these big bluffs, and uh, you know, real real rough country, and mm-hmm. we would you know trail up in tree, you know, and then and I'd work for an hour to get up to that tree, and then get within a hundred yards, and would jump, run across the canyon. And then I might be, you know, two hours getting back across to where they had her caught again and then get close and jump again, you know. So sometimes it was kind of kind of defeating. But, you know, like you said, every, every place has its obstacles. And it, it, I, the one thing I do know that no matter where you're at, it, you know, hunting lines and catching lines is not easy. <laughs> and that's one of the things that Shorty Gorm, you know, that's a statement he made during his interview was, you know, every place has its obstacles or its challenges. It doesn't matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just uh, it's inherent to the game, and and that's what we do. And I think that's key. Somebody coming into your country from out of that area, it would take a while to get acclimated for your hound to get acclimated to be able to to yes. even discriminate that track. You know, 
they may smell it, but they're mm-hmm. they're thinking this isn't worth my time to run it. Whereas your dogs are picking that up and thinking, this is the best we're going to get, boys. Let's go. Does that sound yeah, pretty they accurate? Yeah, they want a trail, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, they 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 want a trail. So that's and you know and I, of course I'm not I'm 58 years old myself, so I always tell everybody, you know, if I'm 100 percent sure we're on a lion and we're going the right direction. I'm pretty happy. You know, I, I, I like the process. I like to watch the dogs cold trail. I like to work, watch them try to figure out a track and work it out. And, and, and then also, you know, to see where that lion goes and what, what she's doing when she goes through the country. It's always, it's always interesting to me. Well, I'm interested in knowing Brett, when, at what point in your life did you say, this is what I want to do. This is what turns me on, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I I think back on it, and I, matter of fact, just yesterday, my wife and I were looking at some old pictures, and I said, you know, I've, I've always done things kind of weird, I guess, but we, when I was a kid, my grand or my dad had a had a construction yard in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and and uh, he had he had an Irish setter that had a litter of puppies there, and and uh, he brought one home to me. And it was black and tan, hairy dog, looked just like an Airedale. And that's what my grandfather said. My grandfather said, well, that's an Airedale. And uh, I said, Air- I didn't know what an Airedale was. And, and he said, those are bear dogs. They use those to hunt bears. And something just kind of clicked right then. I said, man, you can hunt bears with dogs. And, I mean, after <laughs> that, I just, I read every, I've read Elliot Barker's books when the, you know, when the dogs bark tree and then, I think Duffy had an article in, in the outdoor life, you know, and this is back in the early seventies, I guess, that about the Airedales and tough, I think the name of the article was tough, but gentle and talked about, you know, how good they were. And I, and I got into Airedales for a long time. I had a bunch of them and tried to hunt and, you know, I didn't have anybody in my family really to, to, to show me how or to teach me. And of course, back then, you know, we didn't have the internet or anything like that. So I just kind of on my own. And, uh, it just continued, you know, I kept trying. And then in the early eighties, I, uh, I went and seen Henry McIntyre. I went and seen Ross Johnson. He was an outfitter up here. And matter of fact, he lived on the camp that I ended up buying up there. And then I went and seen Mike Root and I was trying to get a, a hound. When I went and seen Henry McIntyre, he had several lions in cages out there behind his house. And he'd have a big old Tom lion in a cage with a piece of plywood on top and a, and a cinder block, you know, and, <laughs> and I uh, tried to get it. I tried to get it. I did figure out that, you know, I needed to get hounds instead of those Airedales for this old tough country. And, and then, uh, I remember I had a subscription to full cry and, and, uh, J.R. Williams, a guy I, I ended up getting to hunt with. He's passed on now, but he had a picture of a lion down here off of highway 70 on a, on a big old rock with the cars going by in the background. And, I always tried to get a hold of him and I never could catch him, but yeah, it was just something that, that, that I always wanted to do, you know, and I, and I really don't, sometimes I question why. (laughs) (laughs) We, we uh, talked about, we talked about the old shade tree uh, hound site back in the (laughs) internet message board days. And it's funny, you know, you're in there and you're seeing all these different names and stuff, but you and I were in there at the same time, you know, talking, asking yeah. questions and and uh, different stuff like that not that we i can ever remember any com- specific conversation you and i had but um 
it's a small world when you when you get into the hound world that's for sure and uh, yeah that was before facebook and before yeah. youtube or anything they got now the old shade tree bruce kennedy that's that's yep. where all these interviews that I post now, that's where they came from was Bruce. Yeah, no wonder no wonder you got rid of your Airedales. Remember his his you can discuss anything uh, you he, want here as long as it's not Airedales. <laughs> man, if you mentioned you know, there was some history to that and I think you and I discussed it. He 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 because <laughs> I got to know Bruce a little bit and, and got to talk I went over I was working in Tucson, I got to talk to him some and he told me one time, I asked him, I said, Bruce, I said, What you know what do you have against Airedales? I mean, what, what's the problem? And he told me, he said, you know, he said, it's not really the dog. He said, it's the owners that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in hound history, especially in my breed with the plot breed, there's, uh, there's some history there. The Vaughn plot, who was the youngest of the, uh, probably the last of the plot family that were really hunters. And, uh, he uh, he had Airedales at times, and I know the Eastern Bear Hunters thought that maybe a little Airedale mixed in would add a little more grit to the dogs, maybe a little more bite and that sort of thing. And there's a story about uh, Vaughn's Airedale being killed by a bear, and uh, the boys uh, snipped off the little stub tail and brought it back to Vaughn to prove to him that his dog had been killed by the bear. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, my father had a That's bear something. hunting friend in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia around Waynesboro, whose name was Pete Falls, and he bred Airedale into his hounds. They weren't plot hounds. They were, um, well, he had one that was a black and tan colored hound, and he looked like a hound, except he had a fuzzy face. <laughs> fuzzy I wonder if some of that high tan doesn't come from that, that intermingling that we see occasionally Could in the be. plot breed. Could be, for yeah. sure. Right. Yeah, the I plot breed is, is yeah, it, it's a southern utility breed, and it, it it's a co- combination of many, many different breeds uh, that came together to produce a brindle dog. But uh, that's a story for another day i guess but i had i had two females that that uh, i had a a female that had a litter pup so it was half airedale and half uh i think a walker of some sort and then uh my hoover dog which was uh oh he was a big old big-headed dog that came from uh riley miller and he had a uh, a female that was a laser bred dog Anyway, but he bred her, and I had two. I kept two of the pups, and they so they were three quarter hound and a quarter Airedale, and uh, real slow starting dogs. But when they decided to start trailing and start, you know, start hunting right, I if I had never had any other dogs, I'd have just had those two because mm. they terrible voices of terrible things to listen to, but. Uh, <laughs> They they were just real smart. Had a you know had a really big brain, could right. figure things out. Good tree dogs, and uh, just ended up being really good dogs. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Bruce Kennedy a little bit, and that kind of brings us to our next segment here that we want to talk about, and that's this YouTube channel you do, uh, and 
called Born 100 Years Too Late. And as I look at it, you know, you've got almost 2,500 subscribers on, on your YouTube channel. And uh, the thing that that really intrigues me is the history that you're catching there. I mean, you've got uh, you got the Warriors of Delgado. You've got Daryl Stryker. Um, you know, you've got a lot of, of old older houndsmen legendary houndsmen from from your part of the world out there that you're trying to preserve their stories so and then the cool thing i think about your videos too is you can watch a lot of videos uh hound hunting videos and it seems like people want to want to show you the track and then they want to show you the tree and you're telling the story between those two parts of it brett and that so so when i look at your youtube channel i, I guess i'm I'm uh, wondering, what is your goal for it? How long have you been doing it? You know, why did you start? Why did you start producing a YouTube channel? As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. Remax Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, Remax Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. Remax has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanharrell.com or give him a call at 828-371-5103. You and your hounds will be glad you did. Well, you know, I always mess with video. Well, I, I, I roped, our team roped competitively for years and years and and, uh, you know, we videoed all our runs, I think, just so we could critique ourselves and see what we were doing wrong and try to improve. And and then when I started hunting a lot, my wife tried to talk me into to, to, uh, writing a diary, keeping track of what, you know, what happened. And I just too lazy to write, really. I, I, I would write in it for about three or four times and then I'd quit. But I found out that if I had a camera with me, I would video the day, you know, and then mm -hmm. I could video, you know, what, when I took off in the morning, I, I could say on the camera, you know, well, shoot, I'm taking so-and-so dogs. We're going over here and, you know, the temperature's this and blah, blah, you know, whatever. And, and, and then I, I thought, well, you know, when this YouTube thing come out, I thought, well, I, you know, I'll start uploading some of this and just see. And I did a, there's a video. One of the very first ones was a hunt I did with J.R. Williams. And uh, when I finally got to hunt with him and he was 80 something years old and it was real interesting. And, uh, and then the Bruce Kennedy videos, you know, I bought them years ago and I, you know, I, just listening to those old lion hunters talk and just fascinated me. So I, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe I can put all this together and I can start 
you know, interviewing some of these guys. There's still a lot of guys that, you know, nobody's ever heard about that, that have really neat stories. And uh, so I started, you know, videoing one thing or another, started learning how to edit and putting things together and, and uh, you know, and, and, and trying to document the process really of, of me kind of learning and, and what it's like to, to actually just have the hounds and, and, and hunt the way I do. Not so much catching because I don't get to catch a whole lot, but, but, you know, the trailing and, and, and learning how to, you know, locate where the ant, where the lions cross and just all the stuff that goes into it. And, you know, it's been kind of a, a learning process and trying to, you know, I think there's so many people that they don't really understand. They think you just get a bunch of dogs and take them out in the woods and turn them loose and they go catch something. You know, and even other hunters, and they'll sit there and they'll say, "Well, you know, that's it's unfair to hunt with with hounds. You know, it's 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 not sporting, or you know." And but they right. all they ever see is some guys sitting at the bottom of the tree and shooting something out. And we all know that that's not that's not the sport of it. It it that's the conclusion. The sport is getting to that tree, getting the dogs where they can trail, you know, far enough to get you to a tree. And all the things that go into it. Well, you know, Brett, one of the most phenomenal things to me, amazing, I guess is a word I want to use, is to think that a hound can stick its nose in that old dry powder uh, rock and cactus and smell an animal that's been there a day, two days, sometimes three days ago and somehow have the determination and the, the, the brain power to figure out which way that sense going and to stay with it, uh, whether it's a day or maybe two days or whatever. To me, that's just the most phenomenal, extreme thing that I can think of in the sport of hound hunting. You know, I grew up in the home of a bear hunter. I've been to many, many bear trees. I've seen uh, cold trail jobs in the eastern mountains. I've seen uh, uh, rough terrain, all those things. None of it holds a light to what you're doing out there with those hounds. It's just amazing to me. And the thing that I see when I watch your videos, and I love the title of them, by the way, Born 100 Years (laughs) Too Late. Because I see myself, you know, if I were there, and I'm sure maybe you can share this with our our listeners. If I were to be astride that mule and those hounds out there casting in front of me, I would have to think that I was Dale Lee or uh, (laughs) Dub Evans, or I don't think he hunted on horseback, but Ben Lilly, traipsing up and down those canyons after a hound i mean you know even when i was a kid we would go out and at that time you know the the american chestnut tree was huge in the eastern part of the country until the blight killed them all but when i was a kid Mm -hmm. growing up it was not unusual at all to see chestnut rail fences through the mountains around old uh deserted uh, you know homesteads and i would imagine myself being that guy that built that fence and that had that whole wilderness to himself. So I'm envious when I see you riding your mule 
and out there with your hound and all that great big wide country it's it's quite a trip and it and i do envision what it must have been like a hundred years ago so good job for sure that, that, yeah and that's the way i kind of you know of course i use the garments and everything and i got a truck and a trailer and a solar system in my trailer that charges my collars but everything else i try to keep it just you know where i, I you know i and I try to figure out what it is. You know, it's just a feeling of freedom. And you're out there, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, we just have lots and lots of room and lots of places to go. And there's nothing like, you know, taking those dogs and, and moving them through the country and, and, you know, of course, keeping them off of off game and trash and everything. But when, man, when you ride off on that ridge or down through that canyon, you see that dog just, you know, start getting real intense and that tail start whipping back and forth and they're just shaking their whole body. And then that old ball comes out. It's just, to me, that's just like, wow. Yeah. And then watch the other dogs come in there and start trying to help. And then you got that, you know, a couple of those young dogs that, you know, they, they, they finally get to smell that lion scent and they, and you can just see, it's almost like a drug with them. They just get so intense on it. And and to me, that's, that's Mm. what I really enjoy. You could hang a ring on the goosebumps on my arm right now as you're talking. <laughs> well, that's that's one of yeah. the things that, that really – I've been trying to figure out a way to describe, you know, why I find your videos so intriguing. And it's because of the, the depth of describing the hunt, you know, uh, the, the thrill of the chase – years ago and i think we may have talked about this too but there was a there was another message board in the early internet days called the coyote gods uh that guy was out of tucson arizona and i started following that one as well and i got got this bug that i wanted to start calling coyotes and everybody said you couldn't do it in the east effectively and and i remember you know hunting i hunted 30 uh, it was 33 days straight before i ever saw the first coyote that i called in and so that is the way I envision and the feeling I get from your, your videos is you want to master this. They're there. You've got a hound that can do it. And it's not all about catching the game. There's a lot of beauty and story to be told in the hunt. And I, I just can't get over the fact that, that that is one element of this sport that I think we miss a lot is the value of mm-hmm. the intrinsic values of hunting and and the feelings we get the the types of emotions that it it draws out of us and the satisfaction it gets gives us not necessarily catching game or or the, you know they always say when you kill something that's when the the work starts and that's the the yes. fun's over at that part it's the way that you tell the story of the hunt that i feel is so valuable and something that is so desperately needed in our sport. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I told, I was talking to a guy the other day and, and, uh, you know, we don't like, we all know, you know, we do it. We know what it's about. And then you have, you know, a small group of, of these fanatical anti hunters, anti, you know, we're never going to change their mind. They're, I mean, they're over there and they've, their mind's already made up, but the majority of the people are right in the middle. And these are the people that are busy, you know, they're trying to pay the bills and get the kids to school and, and them get to work and, you know, just live their lives. 
And if we let the anti-hunters control the narrative by just showing a bunch of balling dogs in a, and something falling out of a tree, then that's the only vision they have of it. They don't see, you know, the love we have for the hounds or, or how we take care of them or, or, you know, all the things that we worry about or, or, or how, you know, the things that go into the hunt, the sport and, and how hard it is, you know, it's not, you know, you talk to, I think it was Stephen Rinella or these guys that, you know, finally go on a lion hunt and they say, man, that's one of the hardest hunts we've ever been on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's something that, you know, we need to, or I, I try to share. Yeah. Good, good, Good stuff right there. Well, tell us about some of the, the most interesting uh, interviews or, or some of the most interesting characters you might have met out there since you've been hunting in the Southwest there. You know, I, uh, I, I, there was an old man. I, there's a man in Oregon that called me and told me about a guy who had hunted with uh, Dale Lee down in Mexico. And, uh, I got a hold of him. There, there was three or four guys that went down to Mexico and hunted with Delhi back for Jaguars back in, I think it was in the forties or fifties. I, I, I can't remember the date right now, but anyway, so I contacted him and I went down and I interviewed him and, and, and talked to him quite a bit. And, uh, he was, he was an older man and he was just kind of a camp boy, you know, but some of the interesting things is like they, he ran a big trot line. And uh, they use a pressure cooker and they would cook the fish and that's what they'd, they'd feed the hounds. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And then there's another guy that I went back to Tennessee to talk to that uh, had hunted with Dale Lee down in uh, Mexico. And then I think he went to South America also down in Belize. And uh, his name's uh, uh, Charlie Settles. And I drove all the way to Tennessee to interview him and, and talk to him. And, uh, he, if he hunted with Delhi or not, this guy was a unique character, just like you'd think somebody from Tennessee. When I pulled up, you know, he was an old cabin and he was out on the porch whittling. He, he you know, he carved <laughs> these little, uh, little statues of all different kinds of things. And, and, uh, man, he just, he, he, he'd hunted everywhere. He'd hunted New Mexico, Arizona, Back in Washington, he went up in Canada and, and trapped it for a living and, and hunted up there and, and uh, ran his foxhounds, you know. And, and that was one thing he told me. He said, those, those, those dogs that Dale Lee had, he said, they didn't have any better nose than my foxhounds. He was real proud of that. Yeah. And, uh, but he, I spent the whole day with him and talked to him. And I, I haven't ever published these videos because both the guys that I talked to they have a story about another man that was involved with the hunt too. And this man's in his eighties and he's still alive. And I didn't feel like I can tell the whole story until I have the opportunity to talk to him also. And I just, with, you know, with the fires and the moving and everything, I just haven't had the opportunity to go talk to him. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of these guys, little, you know, hidden gems, you know, out here that, nobody's ever heard about that if you know kind of spent their life you know running the hounds and 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 hunting all over this country and and uh and several that i've talked to on the phone and some of them you know some of them it's kind of hard to get them to agree to sit down and talk to you they're a little suspicious and we know and just the nature of this <laughs> yeah just 
the nature of what what we do is kind of a you know kind of a solitary or or kind of attracts a kind of a loner i guess and uh they don't really want to share their story always so I've run into some of those roadblocks, like, and I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Yeah, I had an experience back in my UKC days with getting to meet. Uh, actually, I never met him personally, but through a friend, a gentleman named Jim Laws, who had hunted with the Plot family uh, on Hazel Creek, which is part of the in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park now, and. Uh, had some phenomenal stories about the dogs. Uh, he was the one that, that uh, told the story about Von Plotz Airedale having uh, its tail cut off. But uh, when you find a gem like that, it is it's truly remarkable. This gentleman, uh, a fella went four or five different times and sat on the porch in the rocker with this uh, Mr. Laws and recorded on a little cassette recorder uh, those conversations and priceless stuff, which I have and have had them put on to CD. And I guess I need to digitize that and share them with the world. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah. That, that sounds like a great, great opportunity uh, for sure. Um, well, what you're doing out oh, there, yeah. Brett, I think I think what you're doing and what we're doing, I think we've got a pretty common goal here, really, when we get right down to mm -hmm. it. Um, somebody's got to tell these stories. Somebody's got to somebody's got mm -hmm. to bring out why we do what we do. Um, you know, showcase the heritage of what we do. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it's in a state where they've had a successful black bear reintroduction. And they've made some strides. They have it. They've they've um, had a hunting season there for several years. In 2000, I think, or 2001, they started allowing baiting. But the question came up: Is there any plan to allow hound hunting? And the answer from this biologist was no, probably not, because it's controversial. And and currently, they're killing. They're managing the bears the way they need to with their current practices and things like that. But the point came up that the Appalachian Mountains is so rich in heritage, that is why hound hunting has survived in that area for as long as it has, because mm -hmm. there's such a deep, rich heritage. And we can paint the same picture. You're painting the same picture for the Southwest out there with the houndsmen you're interviewing. And I, I, that's the value. Is that is that pretty close i mean does that seem you bet okay you want to talk about yeah what the importance a, is you know a rich heritage you know in this when they came out here you know when the ranchers came out here and they started running cattle and 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 raising horses and you know they had to hunt lions out of out of uh to save them you know they i mean they uh so they could make a living and and so they started hunting lions out of necessity. And uh, if you listen to, you know, of course, Warner Glenn, you listen to him that they were down there in the thick of it in, in Arizona, Southern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And they had to have hounds. They couldn't, they said they couldn't raise any colts out there because the lions would just, you know, eat them up. And, and uh, I, it, it's just all these ranches, you know, had their, had their pack of hounds. And uh, 
a lot, you know, of course, a lot of the guys, you know, like the Ben Lilies and them, they didn't care anything about a cow. They just cared about hunting. But, I, you know, I don't know. It's something that I, I think a lot of people just don't understand. Well, and and if we go ahead, go ahead, finish finish your thoughts. And if we, I, I mean, and 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 that's kind of, you know, what what I try to do is try to show the sport in it, and and sometimes it's hard to tell that story. I I, I hope I'm getting better at it, but <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's hard. I think you're doing an outstanding job. You know, our, we had a guest on some time ago named Mike Thorman from Michigan with the Michigan uh, United Hunting Dog Federation up there. And he said that the farther people get away from the farm, the more out of touch they become with wildlife management, where their food comes from. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, and even when I was a kid, there were still people that came that, that were at Thanksgiving dinner, family members, who were houndsmen or were familiar with with coon hunting or bear hunting or or whatever it was and that's not the case anymore we're so many generations removed now from from the landscape that people lose touch and they don't understand why these things need to occur what the value is of it uh, of hunting and and especially in the case of houndsmen you know we're getting farther and farther away and and what we're trying to do and what you're trying to do is bring it back to the center and show the value of it and the intrinsic values of it. It's not just about it's not just about, you know, bloodshed and, and killing killing animals. No. It's about a lot of intrinsic things that we do. You know, hound hunting is one of the easiest gateway sports for people to get back into hunting. Uh you're not sitting mm-hmm. in a blind, you're not you know, you don't have to be quiet. The kids can can uh run around and, and catch lightning bugs or whatever they need to do. Steve, you got something? Well, I'm just thinking as Brett is talking and you as well, Chris, uh, you know, I'll be uh, in about three weeks. I'll be going up to Virginia uh, for the opening of the winter bear season up there, hunting with some friends and, uh, uh, you know, in a type of terrain that I hunted all my life. Uh, I was born in the home of a bear hunter that actively hunted bears for over 50 years. And uh, recent turn of events in Virginia politics now has a liberal Senate and House in that state and a liberal governor that, uh, you know, want want our guns, our hounds, and everything else that goes along with it. And so we see all these, and I'm and I'm wondering, and and my friends up there are wondering, you know, how long is it going to take before that tradition is a thing of the past there? And I look all across the country, and I think about you out there in New Mexico, Brett, and and think about Oregon, and Washington, and California, and Colorado. And and all of these places uh, that have lost hound hunting in one form or the other, and uh, certainly hope that it doesn't happen to you there. But we as houndsmen have to realize that these dominoes are falling all around us. And if we don't get serious about our sport 
Uh, I mean, to the point that and we said this so many times on this podcast that we come off the mountain and we get out there and we get on the phone and we get on our computers and we do emails and we contact our representatives and we do everything we can. That's what we need to do. Everything mm -hmm. we can to preserve this sport for the future. And, uh, you know, I live here in Florida where it's very difficult to find a place to hunt. We have some state management areas that I can go and hunt, but uh, it's not ideal. You know, to get on the nice ranches and so forth, you've got to know somebody. It's just like Shorty Gorham said. He didn't yeah. mind telling us where, telling the world where he was hunting because it's all private land. And I think about you out there being able to cast those dogs from your mule and having all that freedom. And I hope you get to keep it forever, brother. And and all yeah. those that have that kind of freedom because it's dwindling. And uh, if we don't do something and do something now, we won't have this conversation in a very few years. No, I agree that, you know, and that's what, people don't realize is that where they have taken lion hunting away and in, in uh, California and or in, in Washington and Oregon, that lions still, they still kill lions. I mean, that's, it still happens. And when they need to, to do a study or to find out about the lion population, what do they do is they go find houndsmen and they have to have houndsmen go in there so they can, you know, tree their lions and collar them and, and you know what we do we don't we can tree something and 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 if it's a female or a kitten or whatever we can take a picture and and let it go you know and that's something we used to say all the time you probably remember on the on the on the big game houndsman or on the old shade tree they say dead lions don't make any tracks that's right and 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 if there's you know if 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 our biologists tell us that we're allowed to harvest or kill two lions a year, then, then that's what we do. But that the biologists are the ones that, that we put our trust in to be doing, to be saying the right thing, you know, or, or be telling us the right information. And if they say, you know, well, there's not a huntable population, then, then, then we won't, you know, that, but there is, and there, you know, the lions are, you know, there's there's enough lions. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we leave the YouTube part of this thing, you're I noticed on your channel you've got uh, uh, some daily clips on there, and we mm -hmm. had this discussion about about your daily collection. So, just kind of sum up for us what somebody who is looking for um, information about hound hunting, especially down in your your neck of the woods, there, you know, what are they going to draw from? What's their benefit from coming coming and subscribing to your YouTube channel, Brett? Well, hopefully they're going to see, you know, how us houndsmen care for our hounds and how difficult it is to, to, to get your dogs, you know, trailing lions in the dry ground conditions. I, I'm not familiar with, you know, how they hunt up north and everything, but how, how it's done down here. And uh, then with the Dale Lee or with the, the interviews, you know, I, I, I got permission to post all those videos that Bruce Kennedy put together. And, uh, you know, they get to see the heritage and the stories behind all these old characters. I mean, some of these guys are just, 
you know, they're like Ollie Barney. I mean, I, I would have gave my eye teeth to go hunt with him for a week. And I think that's what I'm trying to share as much as anything. And, and, and then the Dale Lee, I have some, the Dale Lee CDs, there's, there's 20, I think there's 20 CDs and I'm not sure they're, they're all over 30 minutes or 45 minutes long. And I think I put up like three or four of them. And, uh, Mike Ashley is Dale Lee's nephew and, uh, he's the owner of them. And so we sell them. If, if somebody wants them, they can, you know, contact me or whatever through my YouTube channel or Facebook or whatever it is. And, uh, I go through through Mike. Mike is the one who who you know controls them and everything. But are those live? We're trying inter- to figure out a way. Uh, are those live interviews yes, with Dale? Okay. Yeah. Yes. If you ever uh, there's a there's a book that's called Life of the Greatest Guide. Right. And it is almost word for word from these from Dale Lee telling these stories. It's just like sitting around the campfire with him, and he tells all these stories about mules and hunting bears and lions and. You know, it's, it's real interesting, and it, but it's word for word for that, and that book is out of print. I, it, you can buy it, I guess, on, on Amazon or something, but it's real expensive. $375 for one that's in moderate condition. <laughs> there you go. Yep, yep, I priced that book. I, I remember seeing that book. I, I was telling Steve, I've actually got Steve's copy of it right now uh, at the house here, but I remember when I was a kid looking through the old Cooners and stuff, and you know, you could see it advertised for $12.95. And, of course, when you're 15 years old, the last thing you want to do is read a book. And I never ordered it. And now look what the what that book is, how valuable that book is, not only monetarily, but, but for every houndsman that, that should be uh, immersed in this lifestyle. That's like uh, Steve Mathis's book, uh, Brave. Uh, a friend of mine up here, Mike Root, he had a copy of it, and I, you know, to to buy it on the internet or buy it on Amazon or whatever, I think it's like four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a copy of it, and, and he told me about it, and I said, "Hey, do you think I could borrow it and read it?" He said, "Sure," you know. So I got it and and read it, and I took it back up there to him, and I handed it to him. I said, "Yeah," so I said, "That's a pretty good read." And he just threw it in the front seat of an old pickup, you know, old broke down pickup out there in his yard. And I told him, I said, I said, Mike, I said, do you know what that book's worth? He said, no, he, you know, he didn't know. And I said, man, that, that's probably worth four or five hundred bucks. Man, he went and grabbed that book and took it in the house right away. <laughs> when I got, <laughs> I know that. when I got Steve's copy, it was in a Ziploc bag, and I think it had been, it, it had taken. I think he ran it through the, uh, uh, sucked all the air out of it with the Hoover to make sure it was all vacuum sealed. <laughs> going to say, I don't and think don't Mike would forget, loan me the book if he thought he knew how much it was worth. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Brett. And I'm I'll, a reminder to Chris, don't forget where that thing lives, okay? <laughs> I know exactly where it's at right now. I uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. Brett, I want to ask you real quick. Yes, sir. Um, what's the Jaguar situation down there in southern New Mexico? You know, you hear rumors all the time. I I don't believe that there's ever been a a breeding female or a uh, a breeding population either in Arizona or New Mexico. I think what we do is we just get these wandering, you know, males that come up into the to the boot hill or up in Arizona. Or if you look on the, you know, if you look on the map and you look south of 
you know, southern Arizona, then you have all that, I guess it's the Sierra Madre, whatever mountain range it is down there. So, I, you know, I think that you just get a, a, a wandering Tom or male that comes up into this country from time to time, probably looking for his own range or a female. But from what I can tell and from what I've, you know, read and everything that there's there's never been a a, a breeding population here mm-hmm. well there's a lot of court battles uh, there have been a few court battles over habitat areas out there and of course the uh uh the the news media is is has picked up on uh using using the jaguar as is a uh, rally cry against the wall uh the border wall you know how can we restrict them so I just wanted to get get some on the ground information uh, from you about what kind of jaguar population was there, and and kind of maybe dispel some rumors or or uh, at least get some more information so we could be a little bit more informed as houndsmen. But that jaguar is an interesting animal to me. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, and you hear rumors all the time. I hear stories and stuff, and. And, you know, I don't know, you don't ever know for sure if it's true or not without a picture or anything, but, uh, no trail like camera I said, I picks. think they just, I, you, you, uh, you know, I haven't, if I haven't seen it, I haven't seen anybody mm-hmm. that shared them. I had a, I've had guys come up and tell me, you know, well, we caught a lion down or caught a jaguar down there in the boot hill, but it's kind of like, you know, it, what, what did Bruce, go ahead. <laughs> what Bruce, what did Bruce Kennedy used to say? He said, not all lion hunters are liars, but a lot of lion hunters lie. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's sort of like the Black Panthers. Exactly. That that's where I was just going. That's where I was going. <laughs> yep. They're see, you know, people catch them or people see them, but you never can get that picture one. It just, you know, it, it escapes them every time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, Brett, we've seen one, but we just can't get a picture. That's right. That's right. You got any closing thoughts on anything, Brett? Any, any lasting messages you want to leave with the Houndsman XP crowd? No, I just, you know, I thank you guys. I enjoy, I, I think what you're doing is a great thing. I, you know, it, it, whatever we can do to kind of promote our sport and, and hopefully, you know, make it where our grandkids can do it. You know, I, I took my, my grandson out here, you know, here a few weeks ago, and he shot a real nice mule deer buck, and awesome. and just thinking that that you know that, and he likes to go when he can, when you know when when I take the hounds and this and that, and just to think that maybe when he's old enough to do it on his own, it might not be legal to do. I, it's, it's kind of sad, but I mm-hmm. think what you guys are doing, and 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 hopefully what I'm doing is going to help. Well, help open people's eyes and. Well, we could pass that right back to you, Brett. Uh, you're doing an amazing job, and uh, the videos are very uh, entertaining, informative. I enjoy it. I feel like I'm on a mule right there with you, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't be able to stay in the saddle all day like you do. <laughs> How many miles are you but, riding a day on a typical day, Brett? You know, it's it's just the weather's just getting to the point where I can, you know, put in some good 15 mile days mm-hmm. and, you know, and it usually takes, you know, seven, eight hours to put in a 15 mile day. And, 
And, you know, anything, you know, a lot of times you can go, you know, 20 miles or whatever, it, it kind of wears everything out mm-hmm. or it, it does me again, but, you know, 12 to 16 miles, something like that. And, and it depends on if you get on a track or, or, you know, the type of country you're riding through. If you're, you know, out here, it's a little easier to get around in. It's not as steep and, and it's not brushy and it, it's pretty easy, but up by my camp. You know, that was that was rough old nasty country and real brushy and real steep, you know, elevation change was great. Mm-hmm. But do you have a formula oh do you have a formula for breeding your mules that you like to stick to? You know, I you know, that's where I I was raised on a quarter horse ranch. Uh we had forty head of brood mares and, and I showed in the AQHA, the Quarter Horse Association, and and that was what my family did. And and we were around, I was around horses, you know, all my life and competing on horses. And then I roped at a high level, you know, for, for a long time. And there was an old rancher out here, and I was hunting on his ranch on one of my roping horses. And uh, I'd never been around mules in my life. I never have been. I've always heard horror stories about them. And he told me, he said, and I asked him, I said, Mr. Hyatt, I said, what do you think about mules? He said, he said, the way you hunt, he said, you, he said, if you could get a mule, he said, it'd be good, man. And he looked me right in the eye and pointed his finger at me. And he said, get a good mule. He said, don't, don't mess around with junk, you know, make sure you get a good mule. And I've been real fortunate to have some good mules, but as far as how they're bred or anything like that, I don't know that much about them. I just don't. Mm -hmm. I I get on them and I treat them like a horse. I mean, I, I, I like to think that I've improved the ones I've got, you know, but, but the main thing with me hunting by myself is I have to have something that's safe. I, you know, I can't have a bronc out there cause I, I get way back out there and, you know, by myself and everything. I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not real young. I'm 58 years old myself. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get hurt. All right. Well, it's interesting. The mules always interest me. My grandfather had mules on the farm in Tennessee. I'm looking at a, a painting that I had done of him and his his draft mules in front of the barn. And so I've, I've always found them interesting. Have done a little bit of hunting, but really know nothing about how to breed them or train them or whatever. You know, the what I like about them, besides, you know, the typical things that they're sure-footed and and everything they're just so tough i mean they they that old mule of mine jet johnson and i've made a lot of videos about him you know and in him and i have i've had him for what 12 years now or something like that and we've been a lot of miles together and he's just like one of those hounds out there almost you know he when it's just me and him out there he'll just follow me around like a dog and <laughs> and I just throw the reins over his neck and, and, uh, in the morning, you know, he's getting some age on him now. And in the mornings when I go out, he, he'll meet me at the gate, you know, he's ready to go, but, but he's typical of an old man in the afternoon. He kind of gets grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Needs a nap. <laughs> oh yeah. He just don't like me messing with him or anything in the afternoon. He's, yeah. He's ready to go home and like you said, take a nap. Yeah. Well, Steve, you got any closing thoughts? I don't accept that I have thoroughly enjoyed our visit with you today, Brett. And uh, I'm, I feel like I know you so much better. And uh, uh, I'll be watching your videos. Keep them coming, please. And uh, 
maybe someday, you know, our paths may cross. I hope so. Yeah. Brett, I just, I, I, I hope so too. Yeah, I just want to echo what Steve said. I'm I'm really glad that you agreed to come on the podcast, tell your story. You know, hopefully we can uh, get your subscribers up there a little bit on your on your YouTube channel because if somebody's not watching that, then they're missing a, a valuable part of the hunting tradition, in, in my opinion. And uh, I just appreciate everything you're doing. Um, and keep after them. Well, you know, I'm trying to improve. I, 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 it's kind of a, like I said, it's kind of a hobby of mine. I trying to learn how to tell it, tell the story and, and, and film it or, or edit it or put it up in such a way where, where it looks good. That's, that's kind of hard for me sometimes. I'm, I yep. think you're doing a great job. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, I'm going to well, thank you. I'm going to kick it right over to you, Steve, to close us out. All right, Brad, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we talk about my bear hunting friend in West Virginia. Uh, I suppose we've got an old Tom Lyon cat uh, cat track out there. Uh, I'll get it right in a minute. A lion is a cat, right? I think Anyway, so. <laughs> we've got a Tom Lyon track out there, and we're going to release the dogs, and I'm going to put one in there too. And uh, as the day goes on, You follow your hound, and I'll follow mine.